Hello friends, welcome to Mr. Rewatch, the Mr. Robot Recap Show, brought to you by a stand-up comedian and depressive hacker. I'm Erin. And I'm Devlin. What's new with you? Well, what's new with me, I've actually got a second podcast out there. Wow, you must be busy. Yeah, <laughs> I just love the sound of my own voice. <laughs> but, that makes uh, one of us. <laughs> like you hate my voice or your voice? <laughs> um, not going to answer that. <laughs> Um, so if, if you are not listeners are not yet tired of the sound of my voice, um, my other podcast project is called the 27th precinct. What's that about? So it is a recap show of the original law and order series. <laughs> How many episodes are in that? If you know, well, so we decided it's not episode by episode because there's 454 episodes. That'd be a little too much. Yeah. So we're doing one season at a time. So it's going to be 20 episodes. Um, plus a couple of bonus episodes, so um, you can find us on iTunes and Stitcher, the 27th Precinct. Nice. So, um, speaking of iTunes, you heard any good music lately? Uh, yeah, actually. I didn't know that Pussy Riot actually made like albums and like actual music that is not just political stuff. Oh, really? Yeah, they have a, a really great song called Make America Great Again. Do your mama come from Mexico, papa come from So this is the third episode, and it's mostly about Tardal Wellick. Even from the very beginning in the cold open, we kind of learn a lot about him because the show is just channeling American Psycho. Yeah, this whole introduction scene has a very American Psycho vibe. <laughs> and I think we were talking about how referential this show is. The show kind of makes a lot of direct references to films. And I... Here, even though it's very, I think, easy to correlate it, I don't think it's derivative. Yeah, I think that it's more like referential, almost like a Quentin Tarantino film. Yeah, it's an homage. Yeah, that's a good word for it. To, uh, to American Psycho. <laughs> and um, here, I mean, Tyrell is, he's trying to pump himself up. Right, because now he's trying to secure that CTO position. Exactly, he needs to make a pitch. There's something so cold about the way he slaps himself in the face when he makes mistakes. It's very Patrick Bateman, really. We do that when we screw up on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) One thing we know about Tyrell, though, is status is everything. Right, yeah, that's really all he's concerned with. Right, because he's already achieved quite a lot. You know, he's obviously financially very comfortable. Um, It's just this label is very important to him, so getting there is the next step for him. Yeah, and he's almost obsessive because in some ways his ambition is self-destructive. His ambition's terribly self-destructive because he gets his heart set on things. Yeah. And so it's really heartbreaking when he goes to his meeting with Price where he's going to make this pitch that he psyched himself up for and he gets the brush off. <laughs> yeah, but he did get a compliment on his $100 tie, so it's really not so bad for Tyrell. This really reminds me of, there's a scene in American Psycho where for people who haven't seen it, all of the businessmen are exchanging business cards (laughs) and it's about who has the better business card but they all look identical i know exactly what you're talking about exactly so when he makes the comment of that brioni tie and you look back at his tie you think (laughs) oh my god like this is just this is what but this is what i think that world is about is about outward markers of status yeah yeah we see a few different um instances of this as we go through the series we were just talking before the tape about how initially do you find tyrell to be a likable character I think that he starts out likable. At this point, I think that he's a little misguided and maybe a little too, uh, like I was saying, obsessive about his ambitions. But I think that he's also very practical and kind of pragmatic. 
But then our opinion changes, right, because of what happens at the next location. Yeah. If I was to say it myself, actually, I think that the writers kind of uh, show their cards a little too much here, because Tyrell was a, a balanced character who you wouldn't really think was good or evil, which is something that the show is good at, kind of having moral ambiguity. But as we go into this next scene where Tyrell um, does some self-care by paying a homeless person and beating him to a pulp, I think that they kind of um, just make him an unlikable character because it's kind of hard to redeem yourself after that. What did you think? I think so too because it's like you just see him get into his car and then his driver, who's complicit in all of this, you know, takes him to, like I think, the intersection of toxic masculinity <laughs> and capitalism avenue. That's hilarious. And the sad thing about this is you see that he's a repeat client because the, um, this poor man that he's about to assault tries to negotiate a better price from last time. Yeah, they've kind of got a, a relationship built up. It, it is kind of interesting that, unlike a lot of other shows that are airing, most of the white men in this show are kind of fucked up in some way, in Tyrell especially. It's true, because they have a lot more visible, visible to us flaws yeah. than the women characters in the show, and this is a particularly disturbing example of that. Yeah. So now we're back to Elliot's storyline. Right. And so we see him, he's waking up in a hospital after that fall he took off the rail at the boardwalk. Yeah, I suppose the last time we saw him was when Mr. Robot shoved him off. Exactly, and so, but there's other people in the room with him, right? Yeah, he's joined by his emergency contact, Shayla, and uh, his therapist, Krista. And this is kind of surprising, right? Because Shayla, who is his, you know, uh, dog walker, drug dealer, and not quite girlfriend, <laughs> Yeah, I don't think that's the first person I took for my emergency contact. But you also need to think about who else is there really in Elliot's life. Uh, aside from Angela, Shayla's really the only person he knows. Exactly. So that's sort of a sad reminder about, about that. And then we learn that Krista is there because Elliot refused his drug panel and they're not going to release him from the hospital until he talks to a psychiatrist. Yeah, because he's been taking morphine. Exactly, which he admits to Krista. And she says to him that she's not going to give the okay unless he's going to submit to regular drug testing. And he feels fine with that because he thinks that it'll be easy for him to hack his hospital records. Right. And we find out that it is actually easy for him to hack the hospital records. There is kind of a tendency for hospitals, especially the technical departments therein, to be underfunded. And um, especially large public institutions like that, they sometimes use really outdated versions of software. They're using, in this case, um, Windows 98, which is obviously very outdated. This is especially relevant now uh, in the midst of this um, WannaCry attack that's been going on because somebody, we don't really know yet, we'll probably find out by the time this has been aired, um, launched a very massive attack on the NHS and other kinds of com companies in the UK. And it was uh, entirely because they were using an outdated version of Windows. So they kind of used the same exploit that Elliot does in this case. So this is very uh, prescient of Mr. Robot. Then. Yeah. So after falsifying his health records and committing a, a few felonies, um, <laughs> Elliot's released from the hospital to the care of Shayla, who's escorting him home. On the way home, they try and stop for a snack, uh, but they find that the credit card system isn't working because this hack has actually had some very serious repercussions. Right. And so speaking of serious repercussions, Shayla also takes this opportunity to confront him about Vera's arrest. Oh yeah, because uh, Elliot was responsible for his arrest in the last episode, right? Exactly. And Shayla suspects that he has something to do with it, even yeah. though she asked him not to do anything. And so she says, you know, tell me if you had something to do with it and don't lie. 
And that comes back to there's this ongoing theme of truth and lies. Especially between Elliot and Shayla. Especially between the two of them. So she's still on that. <laughs> um, and so then the two of them walk into Elliot's apartment. Mm -hmm. But they notice that the doorknob is missing, right? Because Darlene is already in there. And she is um, she's planning to meet up with Elliot. It seems like there's something on her mind. But she doesn't really have an opportunity to talk about it because uh, Elliot kicks her out. Um, She's like a professional cat burglar at this point. <laughs> yeah, that's one thing that I think is really interesting. Actually, in real life, there is a really big overlap between hackers and lockpickers because they kind of uh, flex the same parts of your brain. It's kind of about exploiting a system to get somewhere you're not supposed to be. If you go to any kind of hacker conference like DEF CON or something like that, they often have uh, lockpicking stations. We can go and pick up some for fun. So now we see Angela jogging, which is so wholesome <laughs> for this show. Um, and so as she's jogging, she sees um, a man drop his wallet in the street. So she, she picks it up and she, she chases after him to return it. That's pretty nice of her. It seems nice, right? <laughs> um, and just as she's done that and he leaves, a woman comes running up behind her because that man had actually stolen her purse. <laughs> it's actually figure. her wallet. Bad luck. So I didn't really know what to make of this scene, but I think you have some thoughts about it. I think that it's um, in, intended to kind of develop Angela's character a little further. The symbolism isn't very overt to begin with, when she just is giving the wallet to the wrong person. But when she gets back and tells the story to Ollie in her apartment, Ollie tells her that um, she's too good, almost to a fault. And I think that this kind of indicates that she has very good... Um, she, she's trying to change the world for the better, but maybe through her actions she might cause some unintended consequences. And we'll kind of see how that flushes out over the season. The thing here about Ollie too is he's just acting like a suspicious boyfriend. Like, well, you're just too good for this world. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's why I love you. He's really just trying to defer all the attention away from himself. Exactly. And I was like, I don't think that's a standard greeting, but okay. <laughs> well, um, why do you think he's doing that? Well, so what we learn a few seconds later is that a ransom call comes in from the man who sold him the CD on right, the street. Because his webcam's been hacked, right? Exactly. And so we also get a glimpse, though, of the CD seller. And so he's at his own terminal, and we see that he's typing in Chinese characters. And the reason that's important to us, the inference is now that he's part of the Dark Army. Right, because up until now, all we've really seen is a hacker in a dark room with a hoodie on. So we don't really know much about them. Exactly. We don't know much about them at all, but now we have the idea that he's more powerful and perhaps more sinister than we thought. Right. Um, so I'm excited to see how that part plays out. Once Elliot's able to go back into work again, he's called into a meeting with a few other of his colleagues, and Gideon, who is just the sweetest, nicest boss ever, invites all of them out to a dinner party. Everybody is really happy to go except for Elliot. Exactly, and so this does nothing but really increase Gideon's suspicions. Because remember that Elliot's still pretty beat up from the boardwalk incident. He's got all these visible injuries, he's been missing work, so it makes Gideon suspicious and Elliot doesn't do anything to help that because he's really being very self-protective. Mm -hmm. Like one of the lines I remember from the scene is to never show your source code. <laughs> a line that that reminds me of is how earlier when he's talking to Ollie he says he's okay with it being awkward between us. And even with Gideon and other colleagues, he doesn't really see the value in having relationships with them. He's pretty okay to just be on his own. Exactly. And he says, it, he says something really uncomfortable to Gideon. He says, well, you know, I'm just being honest. Yeah. Which he is, but I think that's probably not the norm in those sorts of social interactions. <laughs> Maybe it's the norm for Elliot. 
So Elliot walks out of Gideon's office and he sees Mr. Robot who showed up at work and that is a problem. <laughs> yeah, he's a bit of a troublemaker. And he also has some casual sexism, which I guess we come to expect after the casual racism of earlier episodes. But aside from that, he uh, invites Elliot out to a bar. Right, and this is to Elliot's advantage because Elliot definitely does not want him in his office arguing with him in front of everybody. Yeah, he in fact threatens to make a scene if uh, Elliot doesn't come with him. So they, they, I guess, walk to like the bar on the corner or some <laughs> bar very close by. Um, where they, this is such a weird scene because they end up ordering apple teenies. Yeah. And I gotta say to you, if you're paying $12 American for an apple teeny, like you're getting jacked. <laughs> That's like, pretty ridiculous. That's even more expensive than what we pay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'd never pay $12 for an apple teeny. <laughs> Do you think there's any symbolism with an apple teeny? Because it seems like they're deliberate to me. It does, because I think that's not a commonplace order, and especially not for maybe two men. Maybe it's kind of supposed to show you that Mr. Robot's kind of subversive and doesn't really play by the expectations that people have of him. Maybe that's it, because I thought, oh, they deliberately chose something that's like quirky. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, maybe we'll see some deeper symbolism later, but that's all I really picked up <laughs> from it. Yeah. At this so, point. What did he want to talk to him about, though, at the bar? So at the bar, well, first he does apologize for the boardwalk incident. <laughs> Which means a lot because he still is recovering from the injuries at this time. Absolutely, and the, but it's, it's self-serving. He's really just doing it to manipulate Elliot and make him kind of want to work with him again. Exactly, and he shows his hand a little bit where he does say to Elliot, you know, you're the key to this whole thing and without you there's no plan. So Mr. Robot really needs this apology to take. Mm -hmm. It kind of makes you wonder why Mr. Robot is so impulsive. As we were talking about in the last episode, he threw Elliot off a boardwalk, maybe to his death, when it seems like it actually was kind of important that he left. So after the confrontation at the bar, Elliot has the kind of thoughts anyone would have after chugging an apple teeny, and he decides he's going to do an internal reboot. He's just had it with all this stuff. Mm -hmm. So you see, this actually looks like a bunch of stock footage. Like you hear the song, like, Steal My Sunshine. <laughs> um, Elliot just cruising around, problem-free, he's drinking a vanilla latte. <laughs> it's really like the picture of normalcy. The picture of normalcy. Um, I'm actually drinking a vanilla latte in honor of this episode right now. <laughs> I got one on the way here. Do you think that he gets any trouble from baristas about if he has one or two T's in his name? Well, given that I've spelled his name differently every time I've written it in my notes, probably. That's kind of like when I go to Starbucks as a person named Devlin, because I got, like, Deb on the way here. Deb? That's not my name. Well, you look like a Deborah. <laughs> Guess so. So he walks in, and the first person who notices that he's like drinking a Starbucks, which is very out of character, is Gideon. <laughs> right. He's, uh, he's in Gideon's office because he wants to tell him that he's had a change of heart, and he actually is going to go to a dinner party later in the day. Oh, I can't wait for that. When we see Tyrell Wellick again, he's up to some Instagram creeping. We can see that he found the profile for the personal assistant to Philip Price. So this is a person who he kind of wants to get to know a little better. He's planning a night out and he wants to meet him. Right, and so he gets into like a bit of a confrontation with his wife here, mm -hmm. who she's kind of grilling him about whether this is for work or whether this is for personal reasons. Right. And the, I think the really sharp confrontation moment here is, you know, he says to her, everything I do is for us and us is me. So that there, is a good quote. there's a really weird power dynamic between the two of them. We're going to talk more about that later in the episode too. Um, the question that it leaves me with, so when... Well, it gets to the club, he, he hits on Philip <laughs> Price's assistant. He's really very direct about it. 
He's so direct. Like, I can't imagine a world where that would work. <laughs> but it does work, perhaps because Tyrell is handsome. Um, Haven't you been on Tinder or something? I'm pretty sure that's how it works <laughs> for most people. I'm just old. <laughs> <laughs> but um, my, I guess my question in this scene is, I wonder if, like, if this is strategic because of who this person is, or if this is kind of a bug where Tyrell lives a straight life and then he goes out mm -hmm. to be his actual self at night. Right. I thought that that was ambiguous the first time I watched it, but I thought that as the plan unfolded, it kind of became a little more obvious that Tyrell was just taking advantage of this person. He's able to seduce them and bring them home, and then once he distracts him, he installs a rootkit on his phone that's called FlexiSpy. It's kind of something that people use to be able to track the location, use the microphone, and kind of just completely stalk a person in a really creepy way. And it, it is actually um, software that exists. It's very controversial because sometimes people will use it to spy on their wives or things like that. So one thing that's interesting about FlexiSpy, though, is that earlier in this year of 2017, some vigilante hackers broke into their servers, deleted a bunch of data, and leaked the customer data about who was using these services. So in, in real life, hackers kind of think that this is fucked up and they're kind of fighting back. Can I, do you think there's any non-nefarious use for software like that? No. <laughs> I can't, yeah, sitting here listening to it, I'm like, I can't think of any. I think that like there are legitimate purposes for software kind of like this, where maybe if you're trying to watch your kid or something like that, right. but you don't need this kind of level of subterfuge. You can kind of... You don't need to make spyware. You can just make a parental lock phone or something like that. Right, or like... Parental lock function. My cat just needs a microchip. He doesn't need <laughs> a flexi spy in him. Yeah. Right. Oh, man, so we finally get to the world's most awkward dinner party. <laughs> right, because Elliot did decide to go after all. Exactly, and it starts off super awkward. And it, it does because people are asking kind of normal dinner party conversations, like Elliot and Shayla, how long have you two been together? Right, because they decided today that they would be boyfriend and girlfriends. And they're very honest about that, and that makes everyone uncomfortable. <laughs> that is kind of an awkward question to ask, though. I mean, it's risky. It is a very risky question, because I feel like if you do that at a comedy show, usually you get two different answers. <laughs> um, Gideon, he tries to shut down the awkwardness. Then it kind of escalates it, because Gideon calls Elliot out to help him barbecue. Yeah, he needed some help barbecuing that stuff. What Gideon actually wants to talk about is the dad file that implicated Terry Colby. He's a little skeptical about that. He wants to find out if maybe Elliot came to the wrong conclusion. So he actually had some other people look at the dad file. And it turns out that they did come to the same conclusion. So Gideon apologizes to Elliot. And it's a very sweet moment. But inside Elliot's head, he's afraid because he knows that if um, Gideon gets too close to the situation, there could be serious harm to him. Because he's already um, been whisked away by FBI agents to Tyrell Wellick. He's already been pushed off a boardwalk. He's kind of been through a very, very dangerous month here. So Gideon doesn't really want to get involved in that. Luckily, Elliot is able to lie very effectively, and he kind of diffuses the situation by telling Gideon that he just didn't want to get his hopes up by talking about the dot file too soon. He diffuses that situation so well, in fact. Gideon hugs him. <laughs> yeah, he does. He hugs him very... How, what adjective can you use for hugging? <laughs> Why did I start that? <laughs> Right, Gideon hugs Elliot, but you can see that Elliot just does not hug him back because he is not a touching person. Right, and that's the theme we've seen repeated through the show too, right? Right, but unlike last time, Gideon does not cringe and take his hand off, so maybe they're getting a little warmer together. Yeah, maybe they're warming up to each other. He is at his dinner party after all. That's a good point, and that is probably a really big move for Elliot, because you remember in the very first episode he wasn't able to go to Angela's birthday party. 
And I love that where he's chosen to start is, in fact, the world's most awkward dinner party. <laughs> so it's nice for a time, right? Like he and Angela are kind of exchanging some childhood stories and they're hanging out. And then he sees something on his phone and he rushes inside to turn on the television where they all see that Terry Colby has been implicated in the Washington Township toxic waste scandal. Right. It seems like uh, there's actually a little bit more to this plan than Mr. Robot had than we've seen so far. Exactly. And so this kind of goes back to one of Elliot's um, kind of hot button issues is his father's illness. And so we learn from Angela in this scene that in fact, um, so what th the scandal is basically that this plant leaked toxic waste and the residents became ill with different kinds of cancers from it. And they knew about it and covered it up is an important detail. Exactly. And that's also how Angela's mom and Elliot's dad became ill. Right. And both of them have died. Right. Um, one thing that's interesting about this is there is also a real life parallel. It seems like they do that a lot in the show. It's kind of they based do. in reality in a way. It's interesting because I think there are references to other artistic works, but they do pull a lot from actual life as well, right? Yeah. What happened in this case? It doesn't sound very good. Unfortunately, it doesn't. It, it sounds exactly like the story of the show, really. Um, because So I was reading about this in a book I read recently called Dark Money, mm. which I think might be of interest to our listeners. But what happened is that um, Coke Industries had a paper plant uh, that operated in Crossett, Arkansas. Okay. Um, and that plant was spewing out many, many more times... Um, that plant was spewing out much more toxic waste than they were permitted to. So they... There were whistleblowers who showed that they knew they were in violation of the environmental regulations. And so they continued to put all of this waste out into the water supply. But then residents in that area um, began developing uh, way more than normal rates of leukemia wow. and other cancers. And so there were movements where the survivors tried to sue that company to try to prove the link between the cancers that they suffered and the toxic waste in the environment. But that was... Um, very, very difficult and not very fruitful for those yeah. folks. Well, as we see in the show, it's kind of a, a David and Goliath situation. It's hard for an individual to take on a big company like that. Exactly. And so I think this is the kind of pulled from the headlines part where this is, this is a real life example that happened also in the United States. So at the end to the world's most awkward dinner party, of course, is that Elliot and Angela storm out separately. So now, of course, everybody's concerned because Angela and Elliot have both separately left this party, and they're obviously distressed. Yeah. Um, Angela gets home, and Ollie... Have I made Stupid fun Ollie. of Ollie yet this episode? <laughs> We're almost at the quota. <laughs> so Angela doesn't want to talk, and then Ollie's like, but what if But what if I need to talk? What if I need to talk about my man feelings? Um, and I've described this as this is Ollie's Alexander Hamilton moment. <laughs> I think you're going to explain that to me. I think if you listen to the Hamilton musical, there's a song that starts, Alexander Hamilton had a torrid affair. <laughs> this is off to a good start. Well, that, because Hamilton, what he does is he has this torrid affair and he's about to be exposed. So what he decides he's going to do is he's going to tell everyone about it first. Uh, so kind of just like Ollie. Just like Ollie, who in this moment... Um, when really he should be focusing on Angela and her distress, mm -hmm. um, barfs up all this stuff about all of the affairs he's had, about the ransom from the CD seller, and about the requests that that guy has made of him. Yeah, that kind of just adds even more trouble to her plate right now. Well, for sure. So um, one thing Angela realizes is that in all of the information that's been compromised, is her personal financial information and her dad's. Yeah, and that has some pretty big repercussions for her. 
So at this point, she's kind of realized that Ollie, luckily, she's realized that Ollie is more trouble than he's worth. Um, but unfortunately, she's not really in a position just to say goodbye to him right now. She breaks up with him, but then she notices that because of the practical considerations of her situation, she kind of needs to stay involved with him, at least until the situation has been handled. And I think this is interesting because this goes back to, I see a parallel here between this and the Shayla Vera storyline. Oh, yeah. Where Vera also a total dirtbag, but Shayla needs to placate him and keep him close because there are severe economic repercussions for her if she doesn't do that. So it seems like uh, dependence like that is kind of a theme through the series. Exactly. And it's interesting, these two scenarios are also very clear, like gendered dependence, where these men are like absolutely acting inappropriately and then the women have to manage it. Mm -hmm. Speaking of dysfunctional relationships, Tyrell is now back at home and he's tying up uh, his wife for some pregnant s and Yeah, and it's... <laughs> so this is a pretty disturbing scene. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, I think the inference is this is a consensual yeah. s and um, What's interesting to me about it is that Tyrell's actually not into it and he does this at her insistence. Which does kind of flip the roles that they have in this experience. Well, I think that's what's interesting is that maybe Joanna Wellick is more powerful than we think she is. Mm -hmm. So I've kind of got eyes on her now. Yeah, she's definitely a very interesting character. In fact, one thing that's interesting about those two characters is that one of them speaks Danish and one of them speaks Swedish, but the languages are similar enough that they can kind of understand each other. Well, that's so interesting because my subtitles just say, Speaking in Swedish. I found this out on Wikipedia because I don't understand either language. <laughs> either. But so we're basically at the end of the episode. Do you want to talk about the very last scene? Yeah, well, at the very end of the episode, we see that Elliot is back at the arcade. Uh, everybody is really glad to see him. And I think that he just uh, sits down and pulls out his laptop. Right, so it looks like the plan's back on. That's exciting. Okay, great. So we'll see you again for episode four. Thanks for listening to Mr. Rewatch. This podcast is recorded in downtown Toronto. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider donating to a local homeless shelter. I'm Aaron. And I'm Devlin. Bonsoir. <laughs>